We have been working through a series called Now You're Talking about how to have spiritual conversations. And, and we started off the series talking about how, how very few spiritual conversations that we have, uh, that as a, as a church, as, as a nation, uh, that we tend to just not talk about our, our faith that much. And I think it was like the average American had one spiritual conversation a year, which is, seems like very few. And so we've been walking through the series about how to have some spiritual conversations. And we started with how Jesus was able to cross kind of what, what would be like awkward boundaries. Of like, wait, wait, you're talking to me? Uh, and talking with the, fear, the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, we looked at how Paul walked into the city like Athens and, and saw their own statues and found ways to elevate conversation based on the culture that was around him and how he could turn that into a conversation about God. And, and how he elevated everyday life. You know, we also have talked about um, that you don't always have to have the words, sometimes just invite people into experiences, the kinds of experiences that you can't help but talk about later. Uh, and so we looked at uh, the invitation to bring people along the journey. And last week we read from Psalm 107, we, we looked at the fact that we all have our own spiritual stories. And, and sometimes we're afraid to talk because we don't feel like we're experts and uh, but you are the expert of your own story. You know your story unlike anybody else. And we talked about inviting people into your story and sharing about how God has moved in your life. And so today we're going to conclude this series uh, by looking at how Jesus uh, interacted and how he taught uh, as a person that was known as rabbi, known as a teacher. Uh, you might have expected him to be a great lecturer who was always just telling everybody exactly what to do, exactly what to think, or things like that. But in our story today, in many places, he invites people into conversation by asking questions. And we don't often think about teaching people by asking questions, but probably the, the teachers in the room and the teachers worshiping online, they, they probably think about that quite a bit of how do I tease people into coming up with the right answers, saying the answers for themselves, being able to participate in the conversation. And so Jesus is going to model for us what it is to invite people into questions. And so I'm going to read for us just the first verse of the passage that we're going to be working in today. We're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and we're going to pick up in verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his, his disciples, who do people say that I am? That's a very short question, but a very big question. If you think about, if you've ever wondered what people said about you, who do people say that I am? And it's, it's an awkward thing to answer because uh, it's very rare for people to exactly articulate who you are in a way that you agree with and the way that you're comfortable with. Most of the time, there's gonna be a little bit of a disagreement there. And I think about all the times that we're asked to evaluate people. I think about like uh, job exit interviews as you leave an employer and they're like, hey, we wanna hear, what was your experience of us like? What was your experience of your supervisor like? What was, all of these things that you're like, do I be honest? Should I, should I be gentle? Like how much can I share? How much should I not share? Like, do they really want to know what I think or not? And we've had people in our lives who, who maybe has asked you of like, hey, what are people saying about me? And it puts you in a weird spot because you're not sure how much to say. 
Uh, and, and it's a weird question to answer. And so I, I do think there's an extra layer to that, that that is probably more at play in Jesus' time than quite as much that's at, at play in our own time. In the ancient world, the community often defined you. Uh, it was more often that the community, what they said about you was your identity. In today's world, we're a little bit quicker to say, I define myself. Let's see if the community will embrace and kind of accept me as I define myself, but I know who I am. In the ancient world, you're often told who you were, and so Jesus is asking, hey, who do people say that I am? And that's a little bit of a dangerous space to be in because you're like, how are people defining me? How do I understand who I am? And so who do you say that I am? But I think we, even though we, we are more quick to say that we define ourselves, and so you might define yourself as a great cook, as really creative, as a great a musician, as a great speaker, as a great uh, manager, whatever kind of labels you put on yourself, uh, we do as a culture still put labels on people and there's still that tension that exists in the world. I mean, think about, and, and just stories that you hear about people in, in this world, are, is somebody a illegal alien or an undocumented worker? The kind of label you put makes a difference. Is some, you know, to think about uh, the war on crime and criminality around drugs uh, and how different that sounds versus an opioid crisis and medical crisis and victims of the way we frame conversations influence the way we see people. Uh, and we think about the way that the way we frame conversations affects how people see themselves, affects whether they uh, feel like they're accepted as a part of the community or they're pushed out as an outsider. Uh, there's a lot of wrestling around identity and do I belong or not? And so Jesus asked the disciples, hey, what are people saying about me? Which is a dangerous question. And the disciples have an answer. Uh, they, they tell Jesus that people have some different answers. They have different things they say about him. Uh, they say, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. So people have some different ideas about who you are, Jesus. And I think in our church bubble, we kind of think, oh, all these answers are just terrible. Like these are so like demeaning and so like, do you know who Jesus is? Like this is such terrible answers. But like at the time, for the disciples to say, people are saying you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets, like, they're already saying, you're an extraordinary person. You're not normal. Something is different happening here. Something powerful, something of God is happening here. Uh, and so, I don't think that, that every person that's in that circle thinks that they're giving him really bad news. You know, like that awkwardness of, do I tell people what the rumor is? Do I tell them what, what people are saying about you? I think a lot of people in that circle probably felt pretty positive saying, People think you're John the Baptist. Some think you're Elijah. Some think you're a prophet. Because uh, these people were revered. Uh, John the Baptist was seen like uh, the figure who, who uh, is seen as Isaiah has talked about the man who will go before the way of the Lord. You know, Elijah was seen as like the greatest of the prophets. Uh, someone who was seen, who was thought to come back before the end of the age. Uh, and the other prophets, you know, you could at least just say that maybe that's generic, just that you're a general prophet, but 
there was a thought that the prophecy kind of had died down a little bit and there would be a renewing of prof- prophets and the prophetic word at, at the end of the age. You might hear that a little bit in the Acts Pentecost story, when they're like, hey, the time has come, you know, sons and daughters are both prophesying. You know, there's this thought that the prophets needed to come back and declare God's presence. And so there's a lot of positives at work in those suggestions. But it's not just here. We've been throughout Mark, throughout the Gospels, Jesus has been getting a lot of labels throughout. You know, in some texts, some of the scribes go very negative. Uh, he has Beelzebul. He's, he's, he's possessed. He's demonic. Those aren't a good day when people feel like not only are you wrong, not only are you incorrect, but you are an agent of evil, an agent of chaos or destruction. When Jesus goes to his hometown and he goes and he's, he's teaching and, and they're expecting miracles or whatever it is, they, they see Jesus and say, isn't this the carpenter? Like, who is this guy? Like, he's just the, the tradesman down the road. You know, other people uh, don't know what to say about him. Sometimes the disciples, who is this guy? Even the winds obey him, and they don't know what to do with him. Uh, but the disciples are pretty accurate when they say what the people are saying about him, uh, because earlier in Mark, uh, that particular list, John the Baptist, Elijah, or a prophet, is what the people are saying in Mark chapter 6. It comes up in a story, though, where Herod, one of the kings in that region in the north, uh, Herod wants to know, what on earth is this Jesus person? Who who is he? And Herod had a bad relationship with John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist was beheaded based on the way John talked about Herod and his family and his marriages and his relationships. And so they behead John the Baptist, and Jesus is doing all this ministry, and they're like, who on earth is this? Is this John the Baptist revived? And that's bad news to Herod. He's like, oh my goodness, he's come back for me. Is this John the Baptist? That's not good news for, for Herod. Uh, or is this Elijah? Is this one of the prophets? Who on earth is this Jesus? And so the people are wondering. And what's interesting is, is that Jesus doesn't just come in and just say all of the time, here's exactly who I am. Uh, sometimes maybe if you read the Gospel of John, it feels a little bit more like that in John versus Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Jesus is just saying, hey, who do people say that I am? And there's confusion there. And Jesus is okay with the fact he can, he's not feeling like his life is at risk in a way that, that makes him change the way he behaves, makes him change the way that he will live. Um, he's not afraid of what might happen if people misunderstand him. Who do people say that I am? I think that we have to have a willingness to be able to risk hearing those answers. Like, what is it for Jesus to say it's okay to give wrong answers? You know, the disciples are giving all of these answers that might not feel terrible, but they're not quite right. And Jesus is okay hearing these wrong answers. And so Jesus hears all of their answers, and he wants to know, okay, that's who the people say. Who do you say that I am? And it's in that moment that Peter steps up, as he often does in the Gospels, and he says, you are the Messiah, or some translations might say there, you are the Christ. And 
that answer is a pinnacle kind of moment. We haven't heard anybody say that about Jesus from the disciples yet in the story. Uh, the, the gospel itself has a, it expects the reader to know that that's the right answer, but the disciples haven't gotten to that point quite yet. Uh, the, the gospel actually began the very first verse of the gospel of Mark. It says this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. You could say Jesus Messiah, if you want to use that language instead, the Son of God. So like Mark begins with saying, hey, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. The disciples have to learn that answer. And not that many verses later, only in verse 11 of the first chapter, in Mark, Jesus gets baptized, and then the voice of God says, uh, you are my son in whom I'm pleased, you are beloved. And so Jesus knows he's loved, he, he knows his identity in God, but the people in the story struggle with that. And so Jesus is okay with with wrong answers and, and dealing with the fact that people don't always understand him. But here we finally get to a point where Peter says, you are the Christ. And you might expect all sorts of answer, like responses to that, of like, well done, amazing, great work, go tell everybody about it. And Jesus just says in this like, hey, don't tell anybody. And that's like one of the weirdest responses. Like if you were writing the Gospels and you were, it was up to you, you probably wouldn't write that verse next. If you were saying, okay, Peter gets it right, you're the Christ, what should we now do? And Jesus just tells them. He sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. That doesn't feel normal. And so one of the things I wonder about in this text is, how much uh, should we just be people who want to force answers on people while Jesus was so comfortable and willing to sit in the ambiguity, to sit in the unknown, to sit in asking people questions? Hey, who who do you say that I am? Just letting people experience Jesus and then asking that question, who am I? And instead of just throwing a bunch of titles out, he's okay with just living with them and helping them get to a point where they can answer that for themselves. And so Peter finally says, you are the Christ, and suddenly they're not supposed to talk about it. What's I think interesting about this story is also the context in which this moment happens. It says that they were in Caesarea Philippi, which is a really beautiful uh, city. Uh, It's near this mountain slopes, and it's kind of a retreat area, and it had always been known for kind of uh, usually not, uh, not the right temples, uh, but other kinds of religious sites that were there because it was this beautiful, powerful place. And it was a place that had a lot of prominence in this time frame because uh, at one point Caesar Augustus gifted some area of land there uh, to King Herod. And King Herod the Great built some temple structures there and, and he like celebrated the emperor in that spot. And when Herod died and his son took over, his son enlarged the city, enlarged the the temple structure, and then named it after the Caesar. And so he wants to honor Caesar. And so this Caesarea language, which you can obviously see as Caesar, uh, it became one of many cities with the title Caesarea. Uh, Because a lot of people liked gifting cities to the emperor, thinking this might build their own reputation. If I gift you a city, who do you say that I am? Well, maybe you'll say I'm the king of this region. I get a rule in my spot. Uh, It matters what the emperor says about you. 
And so, because there's so many Caesareas, this Caesarea became known as Caesarea Philippi after King Herod Philip. And so, because King Herod Philip had, had named it, Caesarea Philippi was how it got known to be called. So here you are in this city that's named after a bunch of people who want to have their names known. It, Caesar needs his name all over the place. King Philip wants his name all over the place. And Jesus is like, hey, what do people say about me? He hears a right answer and says, hey, don't tell anybody. This is so contrary to the way that our typical pride works, where if any, any moment that we have the ability to celebrate something about ourselves and celebrate who we are, we just want everybody to have to accept it and understand it. And Jesus is like, I'm okay with the, the uncomfortable, awkward silence. Uh, don't tell anybody. Let them figure this out about me. Uh, let me ask them for myself who they say that I am. And so people like uh, Caesar Augustus, Caesar is just a title. He was known as kind of Emperor Caesar Augustus, a bunch of titles. And Jesus would become known as Lord Jesus Christ with a bunch of titles. But the way that they lorded over the world is so very different. One with invitation and questions, one with an attempt of power and might with the sword. And so I think about like how awkward it is that like whenever you see you know, the, the billboard signs that say like Jesus is the answer, things like that. I'm always curious of like what the question is, but like, but you know, so like obvious, of course, you need to know Jesus is the answer. And I, I actually was really fascinated in this this week. I, I wanted to learn like who on earth makes those billboards and like what's that story? And <laughs> there's actually an atheist Reddit that they were like wondering the same question uh, where they're like, who makes these billboards? And they had called the numbers on them like, I, I don't want to say the number out loud and then have that on, 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 on the online video, but you know, the, the number at the bottom of the billboard and you get an automatic message because if you're making a bunch of billboards, you don't have probably enough people to be on the phones for all of those calls that could perhaps come their way. Uh, but an automatic message that reads you a same old prompt about who Jesus is from their perspective. And I feel like that's so different than the Jesus who's like, hey, who do you say that I am? Who's willing to hear some wrong answers and I feel like churches often aren't places where it's safe to have wrong answers. Uh, we expect only the end of the discipleship trajectory where Peter has this confession of faith. Um, but there's so many people along the way who are just experiencing who God is that maybe those answers aren't going to be perfect. And what is it that Jesus, it's safe to be in his presence, it's safe to ask those questions and to learn and to, to grow and to develop and to not lord it over people with the answers. And I think about the safety that comes with um, knowing who God says that you are. You know, the famous naming story of the Bible is in Exodus. When Moses is told, go to the Pharaoh, go to the other king of this world, go to this powerful figure who rules. Tell him to let a bunch of his slaves go. That doesn't sound like an easy message. That doesn't sound like it's gonna go well. And Moses wants to know, how on earth is this going to happen? Who can I say, like whose power, whose authority can I invoke? How can I say to him to let my people go? Like who is telling me this? God, give me your name. And God says, I am who I am. I will be who I will be. Which is an invitation to experience God. Not just to get the easy answer of God's name or identity, but walk with God. 
and have a safety to not know who God is and to learn who God is over time. And so Jesus invites us into a new life, into new opportunity, a new, a new identity where we get our identity through God and not through how other people just define us in this world. Um, but we struggle with how to live out the new identity that we have in Christ. So Christ wasn't shaped by all of these bad accusations. Like later in the gospel, uh, they're gonna throw all these false witness testimonies at him to try to take him to trial. And eventually the high priest is like, hey, are you the Christ? Just tell us plainly. And when he's finally asked that question, he says, I am. That I am language really rung a bell too. And, and they say, okay, we, we've heard enough. Obviously you can't be that. That can't be your identity. And that gives us grounds to accuse you of blasphemy, to take your life, because there's no way that's who you are. What's interesting is even for those of us who go on this way, who, who understand who Jesus is and, and who want to follow him, we are often like Peter in the story. Peter feels like he's had a highlight moment. He should feel proud of himself. I got the answer right, right? Well, like a few verses later, after Peter calls Jesus the Christ, next thing you know, Peter is taking Jesus aside to rebuke Jesus. So this figure that you understand as the Christ, the anointed one, the king, the priest, the, the holy one of God, which has some level of authority at least, right? A few moments later, I'm taking you aside and saying, hey, you're wrong here, Jesus. And so how, how often we can have identity, we, we say who Jesus is, we say who God is in our life, but we still want to be the emperor, we still want to be the king, we don't actually want Jesus to be Lord. And so what is it to struggle with actually living out new identities? What is it to struggle to understand, okay, I now know Jesus as Lord of, of my life, but like, I still want to get my way, right? Can I have my way? And every week we pray the Lord's Prayer in which we say, God, your will, not mine, and you know, your kingdom come down, not my kingdom. Like, but we struggle with taking on that new identity. And it's not just God's identity that we struggle with, we struggle with accepting who, who we are in God's eyes. That we have the same question Jesus has. What are people saying about me? Who do people say that I am? And for some of you, you've been hurt in your life by hearing painful things. Maybe people in your life who, who should have been able to be trusted, who should have been loving, have been harsh. The parent, the spouse, the child, the, the person who has thrown uh, painful statements about who you are. And you're wondering, who am I? Who do people say that I am? And Paul, Paul's writings to the church in Galatia, he has a beautiful message that says, in Christ you are no longer Jew nor Gentile, no longer insider or outsider, no longer slave or free person, no longer male and female. And there's this beautiful image of like, in God, like you are beloved. God loved the world not when they already believed, but God loved the world even when we didn't believe, even when we weren't living out our calling the way that God wanted us to. But it's hard to live into those identities. It's hard to live into who God says that we are. And I think about, you know, Paul says this great, beautiful image there, but all of his letters are him writing to people who are struggling with those same identities. Uh, Jews and Gentiles fighting about what it means to be a Jew or Gentile in Christ. 
uh, people fighting about um, what it is to have society structured with slaves and free people, struggling with gender roles, all sorts of things. And Paul's saying, hey, in Christ you are all equal, you are all loved, you are all one, and yet it's hard to live it out. And so we are invited in this text to become a people, to become a place where it is safe for people to explore, where it's safe for people to ask questions, it's safe for people to give wrong answers. And the reason it is safe is because we know that everyone's identity is loved. And if you are a beloved child of God, you are made in God's image, we can rest in that. We can rest in trusting God to be God and God to be judge and God to be the one who figures out all of the hard stuff and the hard questions. But we can be a safe place for people to ask questions, for a safe place for them to explore with us. And so one of the things that I'm excited about within our own community is that uh, in a few weeks we're going to start a new sermon series where we're going to look at real people's questions of like what are people struggling with, what are people asking. And part of the reason why that, that matters and part of the reason why that we value that is because uh, people need to have a safe place to wonder about big things, to ask about challenging things. And we see in Jesus the kind of leadership, the kind of model of what it is to be the church, where it's okay. And maybe in the midst of some of those questions, maybe in the midst of this journey of the next several weeks, maybe you might find that it's okay to ask some questions, whether that's within the safety of our own community or in other relationships in your life. Uh, I hope that you feel safe to ask and to explore and to, to wonder. But I also hope that you make places for others to feel safe, uh, that you're the person in someone's life that they're like, I, I can ask this question, I can bring up this topic that I don't know and I don't understand, and that I don't feel at risk to be cut off, to be excommunicated, to be just sent away, um, but my identity is safe here. And so maybe this week you might just rest in prayer and just imagine Jesus saying to you, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And just keep hearing that question and start to respond, start to answer and maybe be honest that maybe some of those answers you don't think live up, but part of prayer is to confess, part of prayer is just to be truthful for where you're at. Uh, when we read the Psalms, you know, the, the psalmist has no problem saying a lot of emotions, a lot of painful spots, a lot of, uh, of developing theology. But be honest with Jesus, who do you say that I am? And as you answer that, Turn that question back around to Jesus and to God and ask God, who do you say that I am? And rest in God's answer. Rest in who God says you are. Rest in your loved, free, life-giving identity that, that God has given you. And so in that, I just want to invite us into prayer as we sit with God who makes a space and a place for us together. Lord, we thank you for your love and your goodness. Lord, it's sometimes hard for us to accept that we are loved as we are. 
Lord, I ask that you might help those that feel, feel cold, who feel separated, who feel disconnected, uh, to feel your loving embrace, to feel your presence and your love and joy and peace, that your spirit might just uh, bring about a healing, restful place. Lord, I ask that you might help us to be people that are safe for others who are struggling, for others who are doubting, for others who uh, don't know who you are or who they are. Lord, help us to sit and to rest and to trust in you. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.